Last week, the hero was James, the half-brother of Jesus. The reason he has been a hero to me for a long time is because of Jerusalem Council. Now, he wrote the book of James, which if you read it carefully and you read the teachings of Christ, you can see the similarity of how James, having grown up with his half-brother, those truths that he was denying for so long have become now a part of his life as he teaches and as he ministers and as he writes. But in the Jerusalem Council, which is so important for us, This new church, this new found church is under attack. Always from without, but from within. And so within, what's happening? There are those called the Judaizers. And they're the ones that say, you can only be a Christian if you become a Jew first. And the only way to become a Jew first is by circumcision. Who wants to sign up for that job? And then there are others who are saying, oh, but no, this is by the grace of God. And so we should not impose upon these Gentiles this legalistic form of entering into the kingdom, but instead we should do it by grace. And so the debate is there. Each person gives their input. And then they say, this is so cool. You got to get this. As everybody's had their input, and James stands up and says, you know what, guys? It seems right to me. Now, this wasn't James promoting himself. He didn't get him to say, you know, by the way, you remember who my big brother is, and that's why I'm telling you this stuff. He just says, this is, this is what's right. In fact, it says, and it seemed right to the Holy Spirit. And they all received it, that they would not impose upon the Gentile circumcision to become Christian. But they did say this, one, don't eat meat offered to idols, don't eat meat with the blood in it because life's in the blood, and don't have sexual immorality. It's grace. Now let me explain something to you in my observation. It is easy, easy, easy to be a legalist because we get a list. Here's my list. Here's my list. And if you ain't operating on my list, I don't want nothing to do you. Now, we don't say it quite like that. But that's what it ends up being. And when we talk about grace, now grace doesn't say, oh, now it's okay to sin. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, oh, God forbid that grace is about your being able to sin more. It's very much the opposite of that. But we, each one of us here, are not here because we have kept the law. We're here because the grace of God that's been given to us as a gift from a holy God, the redeeming Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we would not be in Christ. Nobody here can keep it. When we come up with a list, we come up with a list that is monitored by us, not by him. Chuck Swindoll some of you have heard of him, some maybe not. I talked to a friend this week, and he was talking about Chuck Swindoll, because everybody asks you as you put a few years in the ministry, when do you plan to retire? And so I just keep it clear, I don't, okay? 
I'm doing what God made me to do and I'm just living it out. And as long as you guys are gracious enough to let me stay here and do what I'm doing, I'm going to stay here and do what I'm doing. Here's what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, I plan to continue preaching the word of God until that day that I'm in the pulpit and I have a heart attack and I hit my head on the pulpit on the way down to finish it off. (laughs) Having just hit my head, I'm thinking, yeah, that might work. But all of us, each one of us, are to be the heroes of the faith. We're looking at these guys. And all the time, the one common factor, as I've said, is, of course, they're in Christ. They're glorifying God. But the Holy Spirit is working in their life. So they're at that council, the Jerusalem council. The decision has been made. And now, how are we going to get the word out is the next thing. So in... The group of men who are there, several of them are now being designated and delegated to be sent out to all the people, to all the provinces, wherever the word is being proclaimed, wherever there's a church being established. And in that group of men is a guy named Silas. Silas, sorry. And he is like James, not a half-brother of Jesus, but he's just... A man of God who's being led by the Holy Spirit. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. This is where they started out and gathered the congregation together. And they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. What's the encouragement? You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Judas and Silas. Also being prophets, this delegation that's being sent out from Jerusalem Council, being prophets themselves, are encouraging and strengthening the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they went, they, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who were sent to them. So they have this joy of reading this letter from the Jerusalem Council that everybody has signed off on because the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading and guiding and directing. And that's what the church is supposed to be. Well, how did you get there? Well, how did they get there? But by prayer. You stay in prayer. We want it quick and easy. We want instant potatoes, instant grits, whatever. And guess what? God is not obligated to work on our terms by any means. So they have spent that time in prayer. They continue to spend that time in prayer. And you'll see how this manifests even as they go forward. But they're sent out. But the interesting thing is, but it seemed good to Silas to hang out there. He said, you know, I'm here. I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm just going to hang out here for a while. And continue doing what God has given me to do. What is he continuing to have them to do by the Holy Spirit? Teach and minister the word of God. It's real simple. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think we have made the Christian life so complicated. Now that doesn't mean that it's not beyond our comprehension except by the Holy Spirit because it is. But it comes down to, you know, when you hear the person say, Oh man, I'm trying to live the Christian life. I'm just struggling to live the Christian life. That is not the answer. The answer is I'm surrendering to God 
And the Holy Spirit who birthed me into the kingdom is now working in my life, manifesting his gifts, manifesting his fruit. And as a result, my life is being a witness and a testimony to the reality of Christ. And all those things in the world which are always there, will always be there as a temptation, are no longer appealing to me as long as I walk in the Spirit. But after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, it's been really good, having a good time. But let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, who's called Mark, John Mark, along with them also. It sounds like, you know, things are going well. This is ministry. This is how it goes. Watch what happens. Remember, I told you how we get attacked and how things get messed up. And these are precious men of God. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. As a result, these two men of God have a disagreement. And they separate. Barnabas. What's Barnabas' surname? Encourager. Son of encouragement. Barnabas says, you know, if I get John Mark for a while, I think I can help him. Which he does because later on, Paul writes to Barnabas and says, send John Mark to me because he is of good to me now. He knew he'd grown up. So they take off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, and it's important to know, you may or may not know this, but Silas, like Paul, was a Roman citizen. You'll see how that comes up just shortly. Why that's why he chose him, I don't know. Was the Holy Spirit just saying, take this guy? I don't know. Being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Thank you. Strengthening the churches. Now, yeah, I've left some scripture out. I'm going to give you the backstory. So they're traveling along, Paul and Silas with those who are with him. And Paul has this agenda in his head. This is, we need to go here, we need to go here, we need to go here to spread the word of God. Nothing wrong with that. But remember, always remember that we are always subject to the Holy Spirit and what he would lead and guide and direct us to do. So as they're going along, At night, Paul has a vision, and in the vision, it says, don't go that way, but instead go to Macedonia. It says there's a guy over in Macedonia saying, come on over. We need help over here. And when they get there, there's a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Open heart. The Spirit of God opened Lydia's heart. The reason I am here today as a believer in Christ is because the Spirit of God opened my heart. If you are here today as a child of God, it is because the Spirit of God opened your heart. You can jump through all sorts of hoops. Go through all sorts of religious activity. But it's only when the Spirit of God has opened our heart to God that we truly come to know what it is to be a child of God. 
And all this is the Spirit of God working as Paul continues to minister. And along with him is this guy named Silas. And by the way, Silas, even though he's not mentioned a lot in Scripture, he's mentioned in different places, five different books. He's mentioned. Is that not amazing? You don't hear a lot about Silas, but he just seems to know the guys to hang out with. In fact, later on, you can't really tell when Peter writes his book, his letter, if Silas is actually writing it for him or just delivering it for him, but he's involved in the process. This is, this is Silas, a man of God, prophet of God, who's doing the work of God as God gives it to him. And it's not all about fame or fortune. It's just being consistent and diligent about what God has given him to do. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, now you got to get this. I want you to get it. There's so many things in this lesson today. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon them. So God has opened Lydia's heart. And now Lydia with an open heart has opened her home. Did you get that? When our hearts are open to Christ, our homes will be open as well. Now, wait a minute. Say, well, I don't live in the nicest house. What the heck does that have to do with anything? Open heart, open home. That's how this works. And here's the real, I think, amazing thing with the redirection of the Spirit of God for Paul and his company, who includes Silas, who is our hero for today, as they go to Philippi, they're actually putting down, as it were, the first flag in true Roman territory. Now think about that. This Roman Empire that is massive and powerful. I mean, they're the rulers of the day, and God in his incredible wisdom and grace and mercy and kindness, allows and leads Paul and Silas and the others to go to Philippi. And as it were, they put down the first flag for the kingdom of God. And the Roman Empire had no clue that they were now going to be decimated, not by another army, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That to me is like, that's just so amazing. But as they're going to the place of prayer, there's a slave girl who has a spirit of demonation. And it says, as Paul, or excuse me, as Luke writes this, and he says, and she met us, who are bringing her masters much profit from fortune telling. Well, this is the a little video of a python. And the reason I show that is that in the original language, the word python was used instead of divination. Now, just want to have a little visual there. Because there's a lot of different views on this. One is, we need to understand we are in a spiritual battle. It's just true. We are. A lot of times when new believers are brought into the kingdom of God. Bill and I were talking about this earlier. Nobody explains to them, you've been on the enemy's side, now you're on God's side, and the enemy hates you. He's going to do what he can to destroy you. As they were going 
to the place of prayer. This is when this slave girl, by the way, think about this. This slave girl doesn't say how old she was, but she is a true victim. One, she is a slave girl. I mean, somebody owns her. And two, she is possessed by a demon. That means somebody's controlling her. She's a victim. But as they're going to prayer, she says, she's following them. She says, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That sounds pretty good. And she continued doing this for many days. Now, back to the thing about Python. Here's some things to think about. One, in Genesis, how is the enemy represented? Serpent. In Revelations, how is the enemy represented? Serpent. And throughout other portions of Scripture. Now, it is said that in this particular writing, that Luke is referring to Greek mythology. And I'm not saying he isn't. I don't know. But there's some characteristics here that I think would be beneficial for us to pay attention to. For example, if you think about these men, this group of, they're nobodies in Philippi. They're just nobodies. So why is it that this slave girl who is possessed is following along after them, and, and I don't know her voice. I don't know what it sounded like. I've heard different uh, scripture recorded, and it's different variations. But she's walking along and saying, these men are bond servants of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming to you the way of salvation, and she does this day after day. And Paul gets annoyed. In fact, it says greatly annoyed. And he turns to the girl and doesn't speak to her, but he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out. Done. Didn't make a big deal. Dealt with it because it needed to be dealt with. So all of this is the enemy's, I think, tactic to keep them distracted from prayer. Now just bear with me just a little bit. In the history of the church, and we'll just use the Western church, what is the one gathering that typically has the less people? Have a prayer service. If you want to see your numbers go down, just call prayer service. Many, many years ago, we would have prayer on Sunday morning. And we would have 40 or 50 people for prayer on Sunday morning in the old building. A friend of mine came to visit, and he said to me, Steve, those people aren't really coming for prayer. They're just coming because of you, and you've asked them to come. I said, oh, no, they want to be here for prayer. Now, if you're in the room and you're part of that group, I'm just telling the story. I'm not trying to offend you. So the next week, we all gathered, 40 or 50 of us. 
And I said, listen, I'm so sorry. If you have been coming only because you just wanted to honor me, then I'm releasing you from that. You know, to come back. Guess what? They didn't. <laughs> After that, we had 10 or 12 people. So now rather than meeting in the whole auditorium as we've been doing, we now have a little room that we're meeting in for prayer. And to show you how things can be distracting, we had this lady who started showing up for prayer on Sunday morning. And so I was always, if you're here for prayer, we're going to ask you to pray. So the first Sunday she showed up and we're in the prayer room, eight or 10 of us. And I said, would you mind praying? Here was her response. She said, I'm as crazy as a bed bug, but if you want me to pray, I'll pray. Okay, it was funny back then. I'm just telling you. (laughs) But it's interesting. We're too busy. Our kids are too involved. Whatever the reason is that we give. So my question for us is, is that happening in our personal life as we think of prayer? Have you... And I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents. But have you determined before God and the work and power of the Holy Spirit that you will designate and stay at prayer? That wasn't rhetorical. Have you committed to prayer? Because if we don't, we won't. These guys, even though there's distraction went on every day, they kept going to the place of prayer. And finally, Paul said, enough's enough, be gone, moving on. So there's some things here we need to pay attention to. First John 4, 4. How many of you memorized that? I hope you have. If you have it, put it on your list. You're from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you and he who is in the world. So as the opposition comes, and it will, as the trials come, and they will, what do I know? I know that he who lives in me is greater than he who is in the world. It's the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here's another. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another or envying one another. Now when you go back to this poor girl, this victim who was demonized, some characteristics that we need to be mindful of. Even though she was saying, look at these guys, these servants of the Most High God. Who was she really drawing attention to? Herself. What was her motive? Distraction. When we think about ourselves and how we do ministry and how we do life, are we really drawing attention to him? 
are to us. What's our, what's our motivation? Why do we do it? Why do we get involved in ministry? Because, hey, guess what? There's a stage up here. And people out here who are listening and paying attention, man, they can go to your head in a hurry. John MacArthur, years ago, I was in a conference. Sheila and I were in pastor's conference up in Nashville, and he and his team were there. And he said, we have the hardest time with our musicians about why they are up on the stage doing music. He said, because we're not that far from Hollywood. And we have 7,000 people in our congregation. And in that congregation of 7,000 people, there are people who are involved in the music industry in Hollywood. So people are looking for their opportunity to get an audience, to be heard, to be recognized. Well, guess what? It's no different in there, there than it is here. If our heart's not right, then we're going to be doing what we're doing for the wrong reason. Say, oh, no, 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 I don't do it for people to pat me on the back. Then why are you letting them do it? And I don't, you understand pride. Pride's, uh, a friend of mine says this way, pride's like a bowling alley. You got two gutters. On one side is, look at me. And the other side is, oh, no, 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 no. That false humility. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not really about me. But it is about me. I mean, I'm, I'm just telling the truth. You step up here, you have to understand there is a difference of how you do this. That's why it says those who teach the word have a greater responsibility and a greater accountability. And if you don't want it, don't do it. Because you will pay a price you would not begin to imagine. So it says the flesh has been crucified. I have to, every day, pray for death to self, life to Christ. Because I don't want my flesh to rule and reign. I've been there, done that more times than I care to admit. But when the Spirit of God is ruling in my life, it makes all the difference in how my life is lived. So we don't get boastful. We don't challenge one another. We don't envy one another. And I got to tell you, the thing that's killing me, a couple things that are killing me as a pastor in our world today is, is how jealous we are of other people. Oh, you're kidding me. Really? God has blessed someone. And rather than praising God that they're being blessed, it's like, why is that not me? And I told you the story. It's an old story, but a friend of mine way back, his name is Eddie Burris. I was at home one night. This is before cell phones, so you can understand decades ago. He calls the house. She'll answer the phone. He goes, Sheila, guess what? Guess what? My congregation gave me a Ford F-150 extended cab truck as an appreciation for serving them as their pastor. Sheila celebrated with him, praised God for the gift that he'd received. And a few days later, I called him to congratulate him as well. And he was extremely distressed. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I call all my pastor friends to tell them how good God had been to me through our congregation And out of all my pastor friends, the only person who celebrated with me was your wife. Everybody else said, why didn't my church give me one? So it's not just people in the congregation. It's the pulpit too. Let us not become boastful. Let us not challenge each other. 
And let us not be jealous of each other. All of this is us coming to that place that God has worked in our life. And we live in the humility that the Spirit of God puts in us. And we do the things that God gives us. And yes, we may get recognized. Fine if we do. Fine if we don't. But that's not why we do it. Even if that's a secret. If you're keeping it as a, you know, well, I'm not really going to tell people that's why I do it. But that's really why I do it. Because I want to be recognized. Could you do me a favor? Just go die to self. Go have a funeral. You need one. It's called a white funeral, by the way, if you do a lot of spiritual study. You just go to that place where you get along with God and say, God, my flesh has been ruling and reigning. And even though I've tried to keep it under control, it's really not. I'm not living and walking by you, Holy Spirit. So right here, right now, on this day, will you kill me so I can live to you? We're not done with this story yet. This girl's been delivered. And now her masters saw their hope of profit. is gone. They didn't care about this girl. Just about the money. They seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Now, what, what was really happening? They're stopping our money. That's the real issue. But, oh, that wasn't the public accusation. Oh, these guys are messing the whole town up. They're messing the city up. It's not about us and, and our money. We're making off this little slave girl that we don't care anything about. No, it's about the city. We're, you know, we're concerned about everybody else. They're Jews. And they're proclaiming customs which are not lawful. For us to accept or to observe because we're Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. So here are two men of God going to the place of prayer. They do exactly what God has them do because of the Spirit of God because they could not have done it otherwise. And guess what? That doesn't mean a smooth sailing. That doesn't mean that you don't have to count it all joy when you fall into different trials and tribulations. And they're beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened them their feet in stocks. You know, you read this stuff and you're thinking, when I heard about Jesus, that wasn't the way I heard about it. It's about, you know, life is going to be wonderful. And it is. In fact, it is amazing and incredible and mind-blowing how good it is in Christ. But at the same time, we have to understand there is often a price to be paid that we have to be willing to pay. These men were willing to pay it. Paul and Silas. Paul, one of my heroes, of course. Silas, another hero. So here they are. They're beaten. They're thrown in the inner prison. They're put in stocks. Remember last week when I said, I really hate to hear people whine. I do. I'm sorry. I know I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to listen to people whine. It's part of the job description. But I got to tell you, it's not a part that I like. Can't you imagine? Silas. 
saying to Paul, why in the world I followed you to Philip? I have no idea. If I had known it was going to come to this, I would have stayed at Antioch. We had a much better place there. And we didn't get beaten while we were there. I can hear Paul say, quit your whining, Silas. <laughs> That's why I didn't bring John Mark. And this is what I read to you earlier. Before we began our time of worship and music. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And by the way, we can't really understand all that was in this prayer, but it, there, we don't know of anything in the prayer that says, God, please get us out of here. This hurts. Heal my back. It hurts. They're praising God. Offering praise to God. God, you're so good. You're so amazing. You're so wonderful. We've done what you've told us to do. We're believing. We're trusting that you're going to do the work that needs to be done. And the other prisoners were listening to them. When you and I go through difficult times, when we feel like we have been beaten and we have been imprisoned, how we respond to that, people are listening. And all they hear is, oh me, oh my, this hurts so much. What am I going to do? I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. But our choice of words are affecting other people. So they're just praising God and other, the other prisoners are listening in. And then God, sovereign God, decides to interrupt all this going on. There's an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison are shaken. And immediately all the doors fly open. All the chains come off. All the prisoners are set free. You understand the jailer was commanded to protect these men with these men with his life. So when he awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. I was getting ready to kill him. Anyway, he's literally got his sword. He's getting ready to fall on his sword because he knows if I don't kill myself now, they're going to kill me later in a much more brutal fashion. Because he thought everybody was gone. But Paul. The man of God inside the prison knows what's going on and he shouts with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. We're all here. Now that didn't even make sense. The doors are open. Get the heck out of Dodge. But everybody stays. He called for lights. He rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now remember, these are the guys that he could have cared less for earlier. He had not an ounce of compassion for them. They were beaten. He throws them into the inner prison because he's looking out for himself. Kind of sounds like us. And now here he is, down before them. And here's what he says. When our lives are what they're supposed to be, I'm sorry, I truly believe this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When we are living the life that God has for us to live, there are people who will ask us, why is it you're living as you live? Why is it that your response is different? Why is it that you're going through this difficulty and this tragedy and this trial 
And you're not all, you know, it doesn't mean we don't have emotions. I'm not telling you not to use the emotions God gave you, but it's not controlling you. It's not what, it's not what is in authority over you. And their response is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And look what it says, you and your household. Remember Lydia? What happened? She opened her heart to God. The Spirit of God opened her heart and her household came to know Christ as well. When we do what God has given us to do, when the Spirit of God has his place and right in our life that he's supposed to have, that we should let him have, it affects those around us. So this jailer who had no compassion listens to what they have to say. And he takes them that very hour, washes their wounds, And immediately, he's baptized, he and all his household. Now, does that mean that his accepting Christ meant everybody else was saved? No, that's not what that means. It means that the Spirit of God was moving in his life, and as a result, it's moving in others' lives, and their hearts are being opened as well. And they're coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, this whole story of Silas being the companion of Paul and walking through all the difficulties and all the trials comes to this in the At the end of the day, is my life and your life, as his was and theirs were, is it a witness and testimony to the reality of Christ? If I were to come to your house today and ask your family, are they living Jesus in this house? Do they tend to lose their temper? And language, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, you guys pay attention here. I'm amazed at how many of you still use foul language. Now, that doesn't mean you're not saved, but it's certainly an indication. And you have to understand where I came from. I was that cussing, fussing sailor. And so when I hear people that are supposedly children of God, and I'm not going to impose my list on you. If God hadn't convicted, you need to work on that or ask him to help you. But it's a testimony. A good one or a bad one. You make the choice. But they're baptized. They come into the kingdom of God. And, and just as we had baptism the other week, we'll have baptism again next week. It's a testimony. This is what's happened to me. This is what's happened in my life. I've opened my heart because the Spirit of God is ministering grace upon me. And as a result, I've accepted Him as my Savior and my Lord. And, my, and because of that, I am buried. Sin, self, and Satan. Buried. Dead. Raised to walk in newness of life. That's my testimony. He gives them food and rejoices greatly. You see the dynamics changing? He's this hateful jailer trying to keep his job and feed his family, care less about the prisoners placed in his care. Spirit of God shows up. He takes care of them. He ministers to them. And the whole household, it changes. It changes. Changes for us too. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Last week we asked the Holy Spirit to fill us so that the things we're talking about would be real.
Let's do this. If you would all please stand. And Jamie, if you can give us some music, please. I want to ask those who are been a part of prayer and prayer teams in the past, which if you guys will just come down front, please. And you're here today and you need prayer, whatever it may be. It may be spirit. It may be mind, will, and emotion. It may be body, whatever it is. Just come on down and ask for prayer. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit right now to do in all of our lives all that you desire. Father God. And Holy Spirit, we know that your responsibility is to exalt Jesus Christ. So thank you for exalting Christ today in our lives, in this place, for your glory. Oh God, help us, help us to know you, to know you better. Where there's deliverance needed, healing needed, whatever it is, you God, it's you God. We bow to you, we surrender to you, and we praise you for it in Christ's name.